Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Yeah! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! And welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm the co-founder of JustBaseball.com, as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we have a player interview. It's Player Interview Wednesday, and we have a fantastic guest today, a buddy of mine, Joey Loperfito, seventh-round pick of the Houston Astros in the 2021 draft, was point-blank period one of the best players in college baseball in 2021 for the Duke Blue Devils, hit 370, got on base almost half the time, and parlayed that into a senior draftee in the seventh round. And I really am excited to see what he's going to do this coming year. And I think after you listen to this podcast, you're going to start feeling a little bit more excited, especially if you're an Astros fan, about what Joey is going to do in 2022. Again, a lot of the guys that I try to bring onto the show are guys that I know put a lot of thought and energy and effort into what they're doing, and it's always so interesting to hear from those people like Joey, like Kyle Nicholas, like Griffin Conine that really do put the time, effort, and thought into getting better, and then they're able to kind of tell us about it a little bit, and I always find those conversations some of the most interesting, and this was no exception. Joey put on muscle through this offseason. He's gotten faster. He's made swing adjustments. It's like, what else could you want from a guy? And again, this is a guy that the Astros took in the seventh round as somebody that they're hoping to climb through the minor leagues pretty quickly and offer an exciting left-handed bat with good speed who can play all over the field. You just don't find guys like that all the time, and they're extremely valuable. And you'll see, I mean, that's something that Joey really prides himself on as well. Joey talked a lot about the mental side of things and the general approach to the game in this episode, but if you also want to see some of the physical swing adjustments that he has made, there's a link in the description of the podcast to go take you to the live that we did last night. It's now on our YouTube of going through some of his swings on video and him talking about what he is working on at the plate or what he was working on in the cage and has been working on to be able to get better and better and make it easier on himself and give himself more chances for success. 
and a wider margin for error when he pulls the trigger. A lot of really interesting stuff with his swing and some of the adjustments that he's made and also looking back at some of his big home runs during the ACC tournament where Duke won the ACC tournament for the first time in program history. A lot of history was made during Joey Loperfito's tenure at Duke University. Without further delay, here is the interview with Astros 2021 seventh rounder outfield prospect Joey Loperfito. And here is seventh round pick of the Houston Astros, Joey Loperfito. Joey, thanks for taking the time to hop on. I know you just had a fun weekend at Duke with all your former teammates and uh, probably still a little exhausted after that weekend. So I appreciate you taking the time, dude. Yeah, always, man. Always a pleasure. It's crazy. You know, like watching you guys go get back together, you know, and seeing all the guys that are now in pro ball. Uh, We were talking about it before we recorded. When you first got to Duke, it was not nearly the program that it is now and not nearly, you know, the perennial contender out of the ACC that it once was. Now you look back at all of your teammates and even if guys aren't playing pro ball anymore, the amount of guys that you played with that are now in professional baseball or at least played some bit of professional baseball is, is outrageous. I mean, how good those Duke teams were when you were there. Uh, it's pretty crazy to see how quickly coach Pollard was able to build that. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, when I was there, it was always uh, guys like Marcus Stroman. Um, just like, other than that, there wasn't a ton of guys in professional baseball. Um, and then even this past summer in low, I played 19 games or so and got to play against two of my former teammates at Duke um, in the off season. Um, kind of the Philadelphia area. Uh, I've been training with Jimmy Heron, who, again, I got to play with at Duke. So yeah. just to kind of see that grow um, and see Duke baseball's presence in the minor leagues and um, the major leagues at some point soon um, kind of grow has been really cool to watch, especially as a younger guy. Yeah, well, and that was the thing, because right when you got there, you know, they were just starting to kind of get to the point where they were on the upswing. And then you and, of course, our mutual friend, Mike Rothenberg, who played with you for, for several years, you guys – we're one of the few young guys to just jump right into the fold, right? So you joined this team that was already doing, starting to trend in the right direction. And as freshmen, you know, both of you guys had, had really big roles on that team. Uh, what was it like going into the ACC and then starting right away and, and rolling right into it? I mean, you were fantastic as a freshman, got better and better. And I'm excited to talk about your whole progress through college. And then of course the off season and how you've been ramping up for, you know, a big year next year, but what kind of adjustment was it just going from high school to now I'm starting, you know, on an ACC baseball team. It's not just college baseball. It's ACC baseball. Yeah. Um, you know, I came from a pretty, pretty small high school and pretty small town high school baseball. Um, and I think that uh, maybe a little bit naive, maybe just, I didn't know any better. Uh, maybe how good or how much of a jump that that might've been at the time. Um, so for me, it was just kind of finding a way, finding a way to hit and finding a way to get in the lineup anywhere I could. Um, that ended up being first base in the field. Um, and offensively, just, I honestly think I just didn't know any better. Um, I kind of always was able to hit um, and that kind of carried into my freshman year. Um, and before I knew it, I was, you know, in the five hole of that lineup, which was full of a lot of veteran players, uh, a lot of guys that, were really talented and a lot of guys that kind of helped me and, and brought me up kind of that season um, as I tried to learn from them um, and kind of follow suit. Uh, and you guys got to a super regional and then another super regional. The first time you got there, it was the first time in program history. And Duke baseball has been around for a while. It's a very long time to not make it to a super regional. I mean, that must have been a really awesome experience. Then you got back there. It was the first time around, if I'm not mistaken, right, where, where you 
ended up taking Vanderbilt to three. Right. And, and that was the first time you guys got to the super regional. Uh, our first one, we took Texas tech to three. Okay. Sunday, and then uh, we played three against Vanderbilt and lost on Sunday again uh, the following year. Got it. Yeah, that was the Kumar rocker uh, start. Yeah. What was that like? In the moment, um, you know, you're trying to compete, you're trying to, you know, find a way to kind of break his rhythm and break that momentum. Um, and he just, he shut us down. Um, you know, obviously looking back, I regret not uh, just bringing the guys together and saying, look, like if you see slider spin, just take it. Cause I mean, at that point we were all swinging and missing over that pitch at the bottom of the zone. Um, but at the other side of that, you kind of just have to respect the performance. Um, I don't think, or I think that that's kind of the only momentum shift that kind of could have dictated that weekend against us after that first game. Cause I mean, we blew them out Friday night. Um, and I, we felt like the pressure was on them. Uh, we felt like we were in a good spot to kind of keep our underdog kind of like we're here, like we're going to play hard. We're going to play fast, kind of keep that rolling. Um, but you could kind of just feel the momentum of that performance kind of zap us a little bit going into that Sunday game and kind of put the ball back in their court, uh, which was tough. It was tough, but a lot of respect to him and credit to him for sure. I mean, it was an amazing run for you guys. And then you even were able to, to get back to making a pretty solid run in your senior year where, you know, it, the expectations weren't maybe as high as, as the team right after coming off of the super regional, you were not, I guess it was a little bit of a slow start right out of the gate, but then you guys got red hot down the stretch. And as a team that, you know, may not have even made you know the postseason, ends up cruising through the ACC tournament. And that was one of the coolest things I was able to watch last year. And we're going to go over some of the swings that you had in that tournament, because uh, I'll, I'll never forget it at tuning into that one. Cause I knew like you guys, you guys knew it too. You had to go through and run through that tournament to, to keep playing baseball. Right. And, you guys were able to do that. What what was that ACC tournament like? And again, another opportunity to set a new uh, a new standard at Duke, right? I don't think the program had ever won an ACC championship at that point. So even when you're not making the Super Regional, you guys made history for Duke in another way. Yeah. Um, and real quick before that, one thing that doesn't get talked about a ton is that team we had the COVID year. We're kind of led by yeah. – pitching staff um but i think that was like the best team the best like kind of lineup if you want to look on paper that we had um and we finished ranked like seventh or tenth or something kind of when that season um got banged but i think that would have been a really fun team to kind of watch them heat up down the stretch um and there's always like that what could have been feeling but to kind of come back for my senior year um with mike uh, and kind of heat up like that uh, in april may uh through the ACC tournament it was awesome um, and Coach Pollard at the banquet um, this past weekend, Chris Crabtree was the the student player speaker. And before he spoke, uh, Coach referenced kind of when he felt a momentum shift in that season. And it was against Virginia Tech. Um, I think it was the Friday game. And we needed to win. We needed to win out that series. We needed to win out the Clemson series the following. We couldn't mm-hmm. drop a midweek. Uh, so it was just like all these things had to happen. And Things had gotten kind of chippy uh, that game. Um, good rivalry between us and them. And Crab just annihilated a ball to right field and took forever to watch it. Oh, yeah. So that was an awesome moment. But that was just a wild run of games to even get into the position where we would be in the ACC tournament and then to go and win it and kind of how those games unfolded uh, that week. 
it was unbelievable. It was some of the most fun baseball I think I've ever played. It, it was a blast to watch, man. It, yeah. it really was. I, I, that's really where I started picking up, um, you know, and, and trying to take time out of the day to keep up with what you guys were doing. And, um, you know, just like, can they really pull this thing off? Like, can they really keep winning? And it just, it just kept happening. It got to the point where I, I was almost expecting you guys to win where two weeks ago, I was wondering if you guys were even going to be able to, to win a few games at that point. And then all of a sudden it's like, they have to win. There's no way they're losing. And again, I, like that changed for me from afar. I even felt that, that just attitude change from your team. And again, that goes to show kind of the, the way the Duke program has, has really evolved in that going from the, the, you know, struggling at the bottom of the ACC to being the hunters, being the predators. It's definitely been an interesting and fun thing to see change. And uh, it must be nice to go back there now and see the program just continuing to, to go down that road and continue to thrive. Yeah, it was awesome. And I remember after we won it, um, coach gave me a big hug. and was just like, this validates your decision to come back to this program. Um, so to be able every year, pretty much to kind of do something historic or kind of take a next step um, in the postseason or just for the program was awesome. Um, and the alumni and the foreign players definitely recognized that this past weekend, which was really awesome. So. Well, that, that was the big thing I want to talk about with you because you talk about the team um, and, you know, what could have been in 2020. Uh, but if you have a full season there, there's a good chance you're getting drafted, right? And, and that was something that, again, you know, you were in the same boat with, with a couple other players uh, and, and a lot of other guys. And whether it was on the Cape team that, you know, we were with in Katuit, just so many guys were in the same boat, like right on the edge, hoping to get in those first five rounds with a shortened draft, but it ended up being a college arm dominated draft because nobody knew what to do. And it was unprecedented times, right? You still had the opportunity and so did a, a few really good players to potentially sign as an undrafted free agent um, and just start your professional career there. And as you mentioned, Coach Pollard said, how you going back and winning that ACC title was, you know, a validation of your decision. How difficult was that decision? I, I know you love Duke, but you, you got to be eager to start your professional career. And it's everybody's dream. You have a chance to start that. It's maybe not the way you thought it would go, but nothing was the way anybody thought it would go in 2020. And at the end of the day, you you could have started being a professional baseball player right there. You make the decision to go back to Duke and everything works out really well. Uh, but how difficult was that decision after 2020 season was cut short? It was tough. It was just a tough situation. It was, you know, the draft and experiencing that day, um, thinking, you know, maybe I had a shot towards the back end of the fourth or the fifth round. Um, it was difficult to to go through just cause I felt like I had worked so hard and then that, that like the draft itself was something that I should be able to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um, and starting my career would be a very enjoyable next step for me. And so, and that didn't happen. Um, you know, I almost felt like let down to myself, like what am I, I don't want to sign as a free agent, you know, obviously everyone's journey is different. Um, and it's really just about getting the opportunity, but I just kind of felt like I got, you know, more left in the tank and more to prove. Um, and I remember this is kind of my advisor uh, was very helpful during all of this. Just he had a, a similar situation when he was in college. Um, he went back for a senior year and lit it up. Um, and he just told me, look, you're going to go back. You're going to have your best year yet. Um, and everything's kind of going to take care of itself next year. Uh, and that's what happened. Um, so I actually didn't answer any calls the free agency day uh, from teams. I just kind of went off the grid just because I knew that's was what I would have didn't want to, wasn't what I wanted to do. And I didn't want anybody to think that I, you know, was really contemplating that. Um, and yeah, I called up coach power a week or so later and was like, coach, I'm coming back. And it was one of the best choices I ever made. 
you must have been amped, man. I mean, to, to, to get, and I know it's bittersweet because of course he wants to see you guys thrive, uh, but but to get you and Mike back as, as seniors on that team, as a coach, selfishly, you got to be a little excited. And I mean, what, what you ended up doing, talk about it being your best year. Did you hit 374, 474, 612? Uh, that was your slash line, almost an 1100 OPS. I mean, you couldn't have been much better in that senior year. And, and obviously that helped get things going into what was the 2021 draft. And how was that whole process? Because you knew you were getting taken in that draft. It's a little bit less stressful. 20 rounds, you knew you were comfortably inside of that. What was that process like after going through the stressful 2020, being able to maybe sit back and relax a little bit more in 2021? Yeah, I think for me, it was, look, I went back to school and I, you know, put the best foot forward and I I thought I showed for myself exactly what I knew I could the whole time I was at school. Um, So that process was kind of more gauging the interests of teams and trying to find like the best fit for me just as a a senior college hitter, um, wanted to kind of find an organization uh, that valued my production, you know, my versatility in the field, my athleticism. Um, but still, you know, I was able to relax, but you also don't have a ton of leverage as, yeah. um, recently turned 22 year old. Um, so I mean, it ended up working out, um, and I couldn't have been happier to have been selected by Houston, um, just in my first couple months with them through the season, through instructional league, um, they just take a ton of pride in their player development. Um, and I it was very easy to see how their big league club is, you know, consistently one of the best in the league every year. Well, that's the big thing with the Astros. A lot of homegrown talent um, there. They were the first team, really the first organization to invest in housing for players. And now that's becoming more streamlined. Finally, thank goodness. But I mean, they were the first team to really do a lot of those things when it goes through the minor leagues. And is that was that one of the biggest polls for you when it comes to deciding, you know, which team you thought was the biggest or the best fit was how much Houston has had that history and track record of, of not only developing talent, but investing in the talent that, you know, they drafted. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's not like during the draft, you're answering the phone and being like, okay, like I want to go here. I want to go there. It's not so much that it's just when you don't have a ton of leverage and you're not talking about a ton of money signing bonus wise, my game plan into it was like, okay, I'm not going to sacrifice, you know, a couple thousand dollars to go to an organization that I like don't really think is a great fit for me. And I think that was the best way to do it given my situation. Um, And so far, I mean, what I really loved about Duke was just you're filled in a community and environment with a ton of really bright people and they're all trying to make themselves better make everyone around them better. Um, and they're very knowledgeable and eager to kind of share that passion. And that's the same sense I kind of get with the Astros so far. So I was really stoked about it. You mentioned the the defensive versatility and the athleticism. And, and that's something that I think is, is a really awesome trait to, to your game, right? Because left-handed bat, good runner. And, you know, I've seen you play all over the diamond, whether I was at Duke in 2018, watching you play first base or in the Cape, watching you play all over the outfield. I've seen you play second. You can play all over the diamond. And obviously that's something that not a lot of guys can do. How much do you pride yourself on being able to play all over? Is there a position that you feel most comfortable at? Uh, Do you really like playing all over? Is there a favorite position you have? Or do you really like the aspect of being able to move all over and, and keep you on your toes a little bit? I take a lot of pride in it. And, you know, I haven't really dived in the outfield for the past two years. 
Um, but at the same time, it was a good feeling to know that, you know, when school and Duke needed me to play somewhere for the team, I could kind of step up and do that for them. Um, and I just think it can never hurt. It can never hurt you to be able to play another position. Um, the Astros don't really draft first baseman. So pretty much pretty sure everybody in the organization, uh, is kind of tied to be able to play there at some point. Um, but I think just kind of, as you climb, uh, you know, you never know who's going to be in front of you, kind of what situations are going to occur. Um, so being able to play a couple more positions, uh, can only really help. So it's and also there, a lot of fun, a lot of fun to kind of yeah. go play around the different parts of the yard. Um, and they shift so much that if you play the infield, you're almost never in like a standard shortstop or short second base or third base position. You're kind of moving all around. So it's kind of just being a more of a ball player than anything else. And you've already seen those shifts like make their way down to low A where you were at last year in Fayetteville. Like were they shifting all the way down there too? Yeah, like all over, almost to the point where as an outfielder, you have to be equally aware of it because if you're playing right field and the second baseman's on the shortstop side of second base, like that little flare ball that they may catch over their shoulder if they're playing normal depth, um, that's yours and yours alone. So that's kind of stuff too that you got to keep in mind in the outfield, which is cool. Like and we at Instructs, we've watched a ton of – um, kind of defensive plays and strategy type plays, uh, kind of like a film study type thing. And I just never really done that before. And so it was cool to kind of look at the more integral parts of the game, especially defensive wise, like cuts and relays. Um, and all that stuff doesn't go unnoticed with them. So it's definitely a good feeling to be a part of. Has there any been any difference in terms of like getting reads in the outfield at the professional level in the ACC, you got guys that can really hit the ball, of course, and several guys that you'll probably cross paths again in pro ball. You talked about crossing paths with some former teammates, but when you're facing all guys that were, you know, some of the best players in college, is it different trying to get reads out there from college to pro ball, even though it's, it's wood and not metal just with how hard these guys can hit it. Or do you feel kind of like it's, it's similar and still the same game to a degree? I think it's the same game to a degree. I think you just have to know, um, you know, that everybody swinging the bat professionally pretty much can put a charge into it. Um, whereas college, you know, you get to the bottom of the lineup, you might be able to play a little bit more aggressively, either to a gap, uh, maybe a little bit shallow. Um, but, you know, Wood definitely took a little bit getting used to just because you kind of can read the swing a little bit more. You can read the contact a little bit more. Um but that was also the first time I played left and right field in a little bit, maybe even since the Cape. Um, so that's kind of where you more get, you know, a left-hander that hits a ball kind of inside out and it'll kind of banana on you like that. Um, so I wouldn't say necessarily that that, but I would just say kind of moving around and kind of the more general pace of the game would make the reads um, a little bit more difficult. But You've been getting after it this offseason. I know you've been hitting a lot. You've been hitting the weight room and you feel really good going into now, which should be a really fun and, and big 2022 season for you. And a lot of players alike that were drafted as older college guys and got a taste last year. And I know you're, you're chomping at the bit to show what, what you can do next year. What can you tell people about what you've been working on? And we're going to get into the, some of the swing specifics on StreamYard, uh, which will be on the YouTube, but just in general uh, of this offseason, this is your first professional offseason, technically speaking. Now, how has that been different for you and how have you been getting ready to go for 2022? Yeah, um, well, for a few reasons. One, uh, you know, in the 19 or so games I got to play in low A this year, um, I was pretty embarrassed of how I played. And that was 
a new feeling. And I don't know if I've ever finished a season and kind of looked back on it and not been thrilled at, you know, the performance or the kind of on-field results of it. Uh, so I was pretty driven. I was pretty motivated kind of once I got over the hump of embarrassment. Um, and then our instructs were right after the season. So I felt like that timed up well for me to kind of gather myself in a couple of days um, and just kind of go down there with a clear head, pretty motivated to make some adjustments um, and make some positive change for myself. And you mentioned it first, uh, been in the weight room a lot. I have a great trainer up here in Jersey that really wrote my first programs when I started weightlifting when I was 14 or 15. Um, and we have a great relationship. He knows my body better than anybody. So I've been able to go to from like 197 to 216 or so right wow. now. Um, they had a off season kind of check in assessment Houston did. And my force plate numbers were up, uh, dramatically, which I was really excited about just cause I have kind of put in that work uh, on that side of things. Um, and swing wise, I think when I watched film, um, from low A this year, there was just so much movement. There's so much, I'd kind of gotten into a rhythmic toe tap type thing in college. And I think just with the game being a little bit faster, uh, that movement just became so sped up. There's so much head movement and what used to be is like used for rhythm to kind of start my swing. Now it's like, okay, all my weight is forward and now my swing's starting and now I'm making a swing decision. So it was just a lot of sway and, you know, wasn't super controlled and it was very sped up. Um, and I just think I was making my window for success in the box uh, pretty darn small. It, that's that's I love that you mentioned that. And I love the way you say that, because people might look at it and say, well, he just hit 374 and got on base half the time in the ACC. Why would you need to adjust anything? Uh, but how much can you just, I guess, explain how different it is, how much quicker the game is? And just because something worked in in high division one doesn't mean that you can get away with as much at, at the pro level. And that's really what was motivating. It wasn't like, okay, like none of my successes at this point, I felt like had been a fluke. No, of it course. Was, I'm coming off, you know, I feel like I couldn't get out for four months in college. <laughs> and now I'm, you know, struggling to get like three hits a week. So for me, that was just more motivating knowing that, hey, I know this is in me. I know I'm a good hitter. All the things that have made me a good hitter to this point, I still have. It was just how can I make my window for success as big as possible? Um, and the game's quick and the game changes. Um, there's a lot of high velocity fastballs at the top of the zone. Um, so I think for me specifically, you know, if you're getting out onto your front side early um, and your swing is starting kind of going in and out of the zone, those high spin fastballs are going to blow you away pretty much everywhere, especially up, especially away, especially in. Um, and just your perception of the ball, your kind of visual perception of things is going to be all thrown off if your head's moving every which way yep. you're going towards it. So it was motivating. Um, and it was just now kind of being a month away from my first spring training. Um, I can kind of look back on those 19 games and, you know, be thankful for the perspective it gave me um, and kind of how show me, look, if these are the things you want to work on and these are the things you get better on, it's pretty clear. And felt like it was kind of a key to a more productive offseason as opposed to hitting, you know, 300 and kind of coasting with what I was comfortable with. 
And, well, it's funny too. Again, you, you talk about how you, you didn't feel great at the plate in those 19 games. I was, I was watching some of the clips even you had back-to-back games or might've even been the same game where you, you put a good swing on the ball oppo and it was into left center and the outfielder, I believe it was the center fielder, caught it back against the wall at the warning track. Both of those you, on the right day, probably home runs. You talk about the 15-ish pounds that you add a muscle. You got to feel like a lot of those balls that that you hit that maybe were 15, 10 feet shy, you feel like those are going to start translating now into even more home runs. Uh, because you're a guy that when you get a hold of it, it goes. But you're also somebody that squares up a lot of line drives and will spray them all over the field. Uh do you feel like more of those can start to translate into homers now that you, you feel like you've added that strength? Absolutely. I just think that, you know, the things I was able to do, um, kind of making it mechanically difficult on myself to hit the ball. Um, I just think that that production is going to continue to increase as I gained a better understanding of what I was doing and the movements I were doing um, kind of in the box. So yeah, I think it's going to be definitely translating. And Another thing that was nice about my time in Loe is one, I had COVID, so I had a lot of time to think about it. And two, since me and the hitting coach, we didn't have a ton of, you know, great swings to work with. We'd got to talk a lot about kind of the mental side of things, the perspective side of things. Um, so it's not like I was, you know, throwing my helmet every time I got out during that. I felt like I carried myself well through it um, and felt like I was able to kind of, I don't know, just as you go into an off season, kind of have a kind of a clear head. So the next time you do go over 10 or next time you have a week of bad games, which is inevitable, if unless your name Mike Trout, I feel like, but yeah. everybody goes through that stuff. And I think there's some value in me kind of going through it immediately uh, as opposed to down the road. And something I want to talk about as well, because I watched you day in and day out in the Cape and you, you were Starting, you got there a little bit late because of the postseason uh, with with Duke and how how far Duke made the run. And uh, initially, at bats were a bit sporadic. Then you finally got your chance and just absolutely hit well. I mean, you hit two eighty, the three seventy two on base again, and that's kind of the common theme here. So you see through every level, you get on base a ton, you work a lot of walks, and that seems to be a part of your game. I'm going to get to that in a second. But the Cape for itself, because that was after your second season, but that was also after a really long year where, where you were, if I'm not mistaken, you were battling some injuries to that year, right? D- did you not have the yeah, a wrist issue? Yeah. So you week. broke your wrist your first week. That's what I thought. That just came back to me as I was talking here. And I remember hoping that you'd be back so that you'd be back for the season, but also so I'd be able to see you up in the Cape and, uh, you were able to get back, but how hard was it to, to get back to swinging it right again after messing that, that wrist up? And then also how exhausted were you? Or did that kind of keep you more energized to be able to keep going into the Cape? Because I always think about those guys that play a full season, play into the postseason, and then you got to go into the Cape and play some of the most important baseball games individualistically that you may ever play in terms of your professional allure right after you just had some of the most emotional and exhausting games of your career. Yeah, I mean, playing in the Cape was something I always wanted to do. Um, I went to games there when I was a little kid. Um, but, you know, anytime you injure like a main extremity or something that's connected to the bat, it definitely um, is a different feeling when you start hitting again. Um, but I just remember, you know, 
the Cape too, much like uh, my time in pro ball so far, it challenges you. Um, and it's challenging everybody. And some people process it differently and some people handle it differently. But I kind of can equate a lot of my experience up there to kind of my shoulders for pro ball. Um, and that's why I was so thankful to go up there just because you kind of can sense that grind. You can kind of get a sense of how you play when you're fatigued, um, when maybe you wake up in the morning after going over four and, you know, aren't really feeling like going to the park that day. Um, you kind of have to work through that. And I think guys are a little bit younger than people realize when they're up there. I mean, I was 19. Um, you probably get a little bit younger guys, but that was kind of the first real test of, you know, this is kind of what professional baseball is like. Um, and you kind of got to learn how to work through it um, and learn and find ways to produce. I love talking about just what that environment is like, even when you're on a great, a great college baseball team, it's pretty crazy to go to the Cape and now you're, you're among the best of the best, right? I mean, it's, these are all the best players from, from their college teams. It's like a, it's like a college all-star team essentially for a whole summer. How cool was that for you to be on a team that was loaded with a lot of really talented ball players, both on the mound and, you know, at the plate, whether you look at Nick Gonzalez, Casey Schmidt, Parker Chavers, yourself, uh, there were so many guys that could really swing it a bunch of guys on the mound it seemed like that was a really cool environment for, and I'd watch you guys during BP always kind of bouncing stuff off of each other. What was that like for you to be surrounded by all of those talented players and just be able to have those conversations with guys with very different swings or similar swings or similar cues or different cues and just kind of being able to take a little bit from everybody there. It was really cool. It's just, you know, I think that's kind of at the point in someone's college career where they go from maybe being a younger freshman that gets on the field and produces, or maybe the highly touted freshman that doesn't get a lot of time. But then your sophomore year, you know, I think if you're playing in the Cape, you probably put together a pretty solid body of work um, or have some pretty serious professional looks. Um, and so I think that's just a time in people's career where they begin to really start to take a lot of ownership um, of what works for them. So to be able to take BP with uh, like Casey Schmidt and Nick Gonzalez every day, just two pretty great hitters um, and just kind of talk with them um, and hear what they're thinking and then kind of go through a season with them. It was really cool. And just an opportunity that them playing on the West coast, me playing on the East coast, you otherwise would never get through college. And what would you say? So there was something that always stood out to me when I'd watch batting practice. And I always joked that I could like close my eyes and I would know, when Nick was hitting and I would know when you were hitting too. And I'm not just saying that cause you're on the show. Like there were certain people where in batting practice it was just, a, it was just a different sound off of the bat. Uh, and I, I know, you know exactly what, what that means. And to a ridiculous degree, when we went out to the all-star game last year in Denver, uh, we were watching home run derby batting practice prior to the start. And again, Shohei Otani to, again, this is like the furthest degree of an example, but the sound off of his bat was just so different than the other home run derby contestants who are also freak shows that are the best of the best. I, that's how I felt in the Cape where certain guys, you just heard them take batting practice and the sound was just different. What do you, what can you attribute that to? Is that just pure bat speed? It, what goes into just having that different sound off of the bat? Is that better feel for the barrel? Uh, because everyone always uses that term or that phrase to describe a hitter, but I don't know how many people really understand what that, that is. Yeah. So I would just say that you can talk baseball, you can study film, you can watch all this stuff and know so much about it, but there is just nothing. There's like an, I was talking about this with Mike this past weekend. There is like 
just an unteachable gift for people to put the barrel on the ball. Yeah. That some people are just kind of born with. Yeah. Um, and I would equate it almost to if you watched a PGA golf player go to the range, just their like crisp contact, um, kind of in a focus, but also kind of a more relaxed practice setting. Um, that's kind of what I would equate it to. Um, and it's important. I mean, especially, you know, that might be, the only thing you do in preparation to a game one day. Um, but just kind of putting that barrel on the ball and being able to, to square it up to all parts of the field um, is something just, I think, isn't naturally, um, you know, learned as kind of, you know, a gift that some people have. I'm excited and, to go. Uh, it was a different I mean, I could talk about Nick all day, but um, I think what impressed me most about him uh, aside from leading off every game with like a backside pump or double, <laughs> yeah, it's unreal. Uh, um, just how quick I drove him a decent bit to him from the field. Um, and just, he was always quick to like go get a lift in after a game or something. Like when we played, like we did that a couple of times. I remember just being like, wow, like I went over three with two punch outs. I want a lift, but he went like three for four with a Jack and it was pretty eager to get in the weight room at 9 PM. So that was cool. The backside pumps. And that's again, something we're going to go over on, on, on stream Cause you were able to do that. And I think you're only going to do it better now uh, that you, with some of the adjustments that you've made, but what does it really take for, for a hitter to be able to do that? And, and how important, how much, how much more does that open up to you as a hitter? Because that's something that you've always done. Well, is that even sometimes when it looked like you were beat or you, or the opposite, like you were caught a little bit out on your front foot, you were still able to, to drive the ball the other way and get that natural carry and get it out of there. How much more does that open up for you as a hitter? You talk about the window of opportunity, being able to do that kind of makes the window bigger too. Yeah. And oddly enough, I think my power backside was a product of, you know, a not great path. And that's what I think backside, you know, hitting is because if I use this pen, my, uh, you know, it, my path was so in and out. So behind my head coming into the zone, pretty steep like that. And then uh-huh. kind of ducking out of the zone. Yeah. And so it wasn't that I had like this crazy ability. It was just when I would catch a ball out in front, my bat would be like here and that ball would go just backspin field. And then it would just kind of come and kind of cut out of the zone. Um, but it was always something I was comfortable doing. It was something I, was able to do when I was a little kid and just kind of never, you know, questioned it and never really, you know, stopped to try and change anything. Cause I never really had to. And the college game is so geared towards production that my senior year, I could have looked at it and been like, okay, maybe this path isn't gonna, isn't what I want when I'm going to be playing in double A, but I feel great right now and I'm crushing the ball. So I'm not going to change anything. And before we, we start going more into the, the swing breakdown on StreamYard. What, what can Astros fans or just baseball junkies, prospect junkies in general that like keeping up with, you know, the whole world in the minor leagues, what can they expect from you next year? What are, what are the big focuses for you? Uh, again, a big reason why I'm so confident in, in your ability and your ability to translate at every level is because of that approach too, right? I mean, the way you're able to work the count, the way you're able to get on base pretty consistently and, and take your free passes as well, which can always get you through those slumps as well. Cause like you said, everybody's going to go through those over tens, but you mix in a couple walks, makes it a little bit more palatable. What's your big focus next year? And how confident do you feel in your overall approach? You've made the adjustments to your swing, but the, the approach seems like it's always been there for you. 
Yeah, it has. And that was, you know, that was why it was tough to go through that struggle this past summer, just because I knew it wasn't me. Every time I would, you know, have a tough game or a tough at bat, um, I would just walk back to the dugout and shake my head and tell myself, like, this isn't me. Like, this isn't the type of player I am. And I remember expressing that frustration to the hitting coach at the time um, and him, you know, kind of, you know, reaffirm me and saying, look, like, this isn't you, you're right. But at some point, like, you're going to be able to play your game. You're going to be the dynamic player, the aggressive player that plays fast that you are. Um, and that was just important to hear just because, you know, I know what I'm capable of. And I think this season, um, having a full season to put together a body of work um, is going to be telling just to how much I feel like I can impact the game every night. Um, whether it's in the field um, or whether it's at the top of the lineup, getting on base, making stuff happen, um, or whether it's in the ball 110 miles an hour. Um, I just feel like I'm prepared to do a lot of different things really well and really dynamically. Um, so I'm pretty excited for it. And so that muscle that you feel like you've added, you still feel like you move exactly as well as you did before. And you talk about your trainer knowing your body, because that's always something that people talk about, right? His room to add to his frame. The scout speak is always but it might slow him down a tad, but uh, some guys can carry that weight just fine. Um, and yes, are you I'm seeing that translated in the box too? I'm moving faster actually. And that was really one of the tests at this assessment, um, this off season, a couple of weeks ago in Raleigh, um, my 10 yard split and my 30 yard splits, uh, have gotten faster kind of the more I've gained, which is something that the organization was excited about, but something I was excited about just because, you know, you can feel good and you can look good and, you know, put on mass. Um, but if it's not functional, if it's not going to help you, um, you know, generate more force or move faster, you know, it's not. Then what's the point? So it was very rewarding to kind of get those results back. Um, and I was really fired up about it. And you really feel like it's, it's changing the way you impact the baseball. Can you really feel the way it's jumping off the bat for you? Yeah, I can feel that and I can just feel my moves, um, you know, kind of with the more mechanical adjustments, everything is just more efficient. Um, and there's days that the bat feels like a toothpick in my hands, um, which is awesome. really fun. So that's awesome. So to wrap up here before we make the jump to, to StreamYard, uh, what's your big focus for 2022? And, you know, what are you most excited to be able to do on the field? I know you said a little bit of everything, uh, but, you know, like what's what's the big thing that you're focusing on and most excited about for next year? I think I'm most excited just to be able to impact the game every night. Um, I think, you know, as a hitter, um, this is my first stretch of a hundred plus games to go hit um, and go produce. Yeah. And I'm excited for the challenge of a minor league season. Cause I talked to guys like Griff this past weekend, Jimmy Heron, who I'm training with right now. Um, it's a grind, you know, it's a test um, and it's not easy and it's long. Um, and so to kind of feel myself be the best version of myself and, you know, physically, mechanically, um, you know, the most collective version of myself yet, uh, a month out from my first spring training and first full season, um, I feel like I'm ready for that challenge. So I feel like I've earned the right to be able to be excited about it. Um, and to just kind of, when the time comes, know my plan and know my process and just go out there and enjoy it and, and impact the game every night. So I think that's what I'm most looking forward to. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you do it, man. And uh, I'll, I'll be following along. I, I believe high A is, is high A Asheville now. 
High is Asheville. I'm not really sure where I'm going to start this year, yeah. but the only reason I asked high is because I know double A is Corpus Christi. I know the Corpus Christi hooks, yeah. uh, but I was trying to go through all the possibilities. Well, either way. And then the space, the space Cowboys are the new triple A. It's pretty cool. New rebrand. Yeah. Would you, what do you think of that? You're eventually going to be a space cowboy instead of a Skeeter. Oh, what, what's the thoughts? Um, I think it's cool that the space Cowboys are like a similar kind of color look to the big league club. Like I felt like the, the Skeeter, I don't know. I think it's cool. <laughs> you have to sign up to wear some crazy. That's the crazy part is when you go to the minor leagues, you don't know what you're signing up for promo yeah, wise. No, you could be, oh, you could be wearing like hot pink one night and you'd, so, right, you just got to wear it. Like literally wear it. I'll never forget. Yeah. We got to see Griff and, and Zach Cohn in double a Pensacola wearing the most brutal jerseys I've ever seen. Um, it was like the, the red crab jerseys. You saw that with like the, the big claw on the backside, most insane thing I've seen. So looking forward to seeing what, what they'll throw you in out there on the field. I'm sure there'll be some kind of promo, but doesn't matter when you're raking and I'm looking forward to watching you do that, man. Best of luck this year. And uh, let's talk some swings real quick. Yeah, absolutely. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.